You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. Hey, but well, we're going to continue in our series uh, in the book of Nehemiah. And I hope that you've been enjoying this series. I know I have. I, I, really, I really like the book of Nehemiah. It's got that right blend of spiritual with some practical application in it. And it, it just kind of reaches both sides of the fence if you're if you are like, you know, like me, kind of like, yes, God, I got a huge vision. I can see what you're doing. Or you're, you're more like a planner, like I need an ABC. Uh, the book of Nehemiah has got both. And so it's really great. I, uh, I love it. And uh, we're going to continue in with our series, and we're going to go through uh, Nehemiah chapter 5. Last week, we talked about the opposition, the attack of the enemy from outside the walls uh, uh, that the Jews were building there, that Nehemiah was building. And in case you missed um, any part of this series, you can catch it on podcast or you sign up to get a CD of it. Uh, but this is called Rebuild, Renew, Restore. And really, Nehemiah is God's blueprint. I believe it's God's blueprint on how we are going to reach a city, on how we've been called as the body of Christ to reach a city. And this is, this is so important for us because he, here's the thing, is that our walk with God has got to get beyond us. And God knew that, listen, it is awesome to be in the presence of the Father. It is so good to be in the presence of the Father. We love it. We love soaking it up. We love absorbing it. But it is for a reason. It is for a reason. It's for a reason to fill us up, to bring us into the revelation of who we are, what we've been called to as sons and daughters. But it's also to carry that outside of us. See, God didn't make a mistake putting you in that crummy job necessarily. All right, some of you are like, yes, he did. He made a mistake. God didn't make a mistake when he sat you in the middle of your family. <laughs> Everybody look at me and smile because <laughs> he fought when you came to church today. God didn't make a mistake when he put you in your neighborhood. He didn't. He knew. He knew. He knew. And his plan for you in those places is to be a beacon of life, to be a point of redemption in those areas. And so Nehemiah gives us this beautiful blueprint on how to do that. When God put it on Nehemiah's heart to go and to rebuild the, the walls of Jerusalem. And, and, and I know I mentioned this early in the series, but you know, Nehemiah's attempt to go into the, to Jerusalem, to rebuild Jerusalem, was not the first attempt from a Jew after they had been in exile. It was actually the third attempt. The third attempt. And there's something about striking out, not as the first, but as somebody who backs up, who goes after two attempts that have failed. Why am I bringing this up to you? Because here's the thing, is that some of you may have stepped out into this, but you missed a key, and ultimately missing that key led you to a place where maybe you felt like you failed, but here is the revelation that when God calls us to redemption, no matter what you did before, what God's called you to, He's called you to be successful. And so what I'm doing is I want to just let the Holy Spirit birth some hope in you, even if you tried and failed in the past. Because Nehemiah wasn't the first, and he knew about the first two failures, but yet God burdened his heart with rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, and he stepped out on faith, and he did it. He met opposition, yes, but he continued on. And last week we talked about that opposition coming from the outside, and what that is for us, a parallel for us, is when the enemy attempts to attack us. The enemy is defeated. But this week what I want to do is I want to talk about 
living in the abundance of margin. Because in Nehemiah chapter 5, if Nehemiah chapter 4 was the attack from outside, then Nehemiah chapter 5 is the attack from within. What happens in our life when everything is breaking down? What happens to the call of God on our life when everything inside of us, in our families, in our finances, at our job, all these things are breaking down, but yet it's not the attack of the enemy? The answer is this, is that oftentimes God wants to get us and create in us some margin whereby we can refocus our lives and begin to hear what he says and what the word of God says. So here's what happens in Nehemiah chapter 5. The people realize that they're basically broke and they're hungry, they're starving. In Nehemiah chapter 5, this unrest begins to, to brew and to boil. And they begin to come to Nehemiah with these several complaints. The first complaint is this, is that the people had been working hard on the walls, but they had neglected to tend to their families. And so they didn't have any time. They never created a margin of time to care for their families. They didn't go and sow in the fields and reap in the fields, but instead they were busy working on the walls. Wait a second. Weren't they doing God's work? Yeah. They were. But see, they neglected something very, very valuable to God's heart, family. See, and it's very easy to get into the place, just like the Jews who came to Nehemiah with this complaint and say, Nehemiah, wait a second, this is, this is your problem. You put this on us. This became too heavy for us. And Nehemiah's response was, no, you neglected something that was very valuable to God. You didn't have any margin. The next complaint was this, that Nehemiah faced was, there was a famine in the land which made food scarce and expensive. The people said, listen, and this is legitimate. But you know what happens when we don't create margin is we begin to burn out at both ends. And we begin to say something like this, there's no more time left in the day. I feel bankrupt and empty, not just financially, but I feel it internally in my emotions, in my, in my mind, in my energy. Why? There's no margin. Listen, if there's not savings in your life, and this isn't a, this isn't a parable, a lesson about just about money. We're going to talk about money, so, so get ready. But this is about every area of your life. If there's not savings in your emotions... If there's not savings in your relationship, something's stored up. Whenever if there comes a famine, when things go tough, when you get tough, when you go through a, a long stretch where there's a hard time, you are going to feel the pressure just like these Jews felt and said, listen, Nehemiah, there is nothing in the land. There's something interesting about this particular complaint about famine that we're going to see at the very end of this chapter. I want to bring this back around. The third complaint was this, is that the people were overtaxed and the cost of living continued to go up. What was happening there in the land there in Jerusalem is that Nehemiah was slowly becoming the governor of Jerusalem. But there were surrounding cities around the wall, around Jerusalem. And not very many of the Jews actually lived inside the walls of Jerusalem while they were being built. They lived outside and they would have to pay taxes to the governors there. And they were being taken advantage of. They were being overtaxed. 
They were being worked too hard. And listen, there are times in our life where the fairness factor gets tilted. And whenever the fairness factor, the justice factor, however it works in your life, and every one of us have this this scale in our life, where we begin to look at other people and say, listen, I'm working harder than you. I'm doing more. Why am I not getting the same result? Whenever you get into that place, there is an absence of margin somewhere. Everybody okay so far? All right. Thanks, Pastor Ken. And then finally, some people had defaulted on loans, and they were forced into slavery. What took place with some of these folks who were paying these heavy taxes, they just simply couldn't pay them. And so the system of of law there in the land was this, that if you couldn't pay financially with money, with crops, with something that could be liquidated, then somebody in your family was, was put into slavery. And so some of their families, they came with this. This is the highest complaint. This is the most, this complaint that came to Nehemiah was the, the, the one that hit home, the one that hit right at the heart. Because they're saying, they're looking and saying, you're supposed to be rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, Nehemiah. You're supposed to be protecting us, but our families, our children, our daughters are being sold into slavery. We can't pay this tax. And see, the highest goal of the enemy when we fail to create margins, it's, it's incredible. And, I, and I, I really, really want you, I want you to listen to the Holy Spirit as I speak. Listen, listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit as I speak. And I want you to really take notes. Because something so simple can open up the door so strongly to allowing the enemy to steal your freedom. Something like the failure to create margin in your life can open, ultimately open up the door to put you into slavery. Not physical bondage, but emotional and spiritual bondage. Maybe it looks like depression. Maybe it looks like fatigue. Maybe it looks like you just throw your hands up and say, I give up, I'm done with this. It doesn't work. And that's the ultimate goal of the enemy when, when it comes to creating our life so busily that we fail, fail to put margin in. One of the craziest things that happened in Nehemiah, happens in Nehemiah chapter 5 is this, is that these individual problems, they come together and they actually break down the unity of all the Jews. See, every one of you is so important to accomplishing the vision of this house. And, and let's extend it past that, if I can, for just a second. I know I, I really want to talk to you guys today, okay? It, is that every one of us, as an individual, is critical in accomplishing what God has set aside to do in this land today. What the body of Christ has been called to do in the land today. If any one of you question the value of yourself personally, please, please stop. Please stop. You are valuable. You are needed. You are important. And what Nehemiah chapter 5 teaches us is this. Is that when individual problems are highlighted, when they come together, they break the unity of the group. And so God is very intent on protecting our freedom as individuals so that we can come together as individuals, as the body of Christ, and accomplish what he's called us to do on the earth. He's very intent on that. One of the ways he does this is through margin. Through margin. Okay. So I believe that there are four things that the Holy Spirit wants us, wants to give wisdom to us on and help us to create margin. 
Sorry. All right. First is this. You can write this down. In our families. In our families. Nehemiah realized that this wasn't a provision problem for the Jews. This wasn't a money problem for the Jews. This was a margin problem. This was a margin problem. In our families. Our family, your family, is your primary place of ministry. Your family is your primary place of ministry. God is intent on protecting the family. And the first place that we need to have margin at is in our family. The family structure is the picture of how the body of Christ should look on the earth. When we consider what the family looks like, we have to understand that God put two very practical things in place. Both have covenant within them to model what the love of God looks like between God and man and what the body of Christ looks like on the earth. So the first one is this. It's tied in the covenant is marriage. That's why the book of Ephesians talks about this. That whole passage there that we kind of tussle about, husbands, love your wives, wives, submit to your husbands, that whole thing. At the very end of that passage, what does Paul write? He says this, this is a mystery. This mystery is concerning the way that Christ loves the church. And when God put marriage on the earth, this is God's idea. Marriage is God's idea. That's why he is also intent about protecting marriage. The reason why is because it is a picture It is a picture of the love, the covenant of love between God and man that was given to us through Christ Jesus. And so God protects marriage in the same way God protects family. Why? Because family is also a covenant. I've got five kids that are yet adults, and they are all under the covenant of my wife and I. Meaning that I cover them, I protect them, I speak into their life, I bless them, I discipline them. They are my responsibility until they come of the age to be an adult. And the reason why is because the picture of the family is the best tangible picture of the way the body of Christ should look like on the earth. One of the greatest compliments that I ever got when I youth pastored was this. I would have youth that would come into my house. They would love coming to my house because they would walk right through the front doors, be like, what's up, Pastor Andy? Hi, Kim. Give us all a hug. Just mess with our kids a little bit and walk right in and open up our refrigerator door and just straight get whatever they wanted to get out of my refrigerator. They wouldn't say, hey, can I go in here? No, I didn't care. Why? See, there's something beautiful that takes place in a family setting that allows people to be free. And the body of Christ is intended, when people walk in here, the thing they should feel first is freedom and love and acceptance. Why? Because in your family, is that the way you want your children to respond? Yeah. You see how God's intent on protecting that because it's a picture of the way the body of Christ should look on the earth. God loves family because family equals legacy and inheritance. We know that's the way it flows. Family is a redemptive force on the earth. It's a redemptive force on the earth. Psalm 68.6 says this, God makes a home for the lonely. He leads out the prisoners into prosperity and only the rebellious dwell in a parched land. What is God saying there? He says, listen, I make a home. I'm into families. I am into homes. 
I am into connecting the people who are detached into life-giving places. And the family, the picture of the family is a redemptive force on the earth. We've seen more people actually come to, to Christ through our children. We would get these looks when we lived in Los Angeles. It's not like Texas. Los Angeles is not like Texas. <laughs> I give you an opportunity. Thank you. We would walk down the street, go into stores, be, be somewhere. My, my, for the first, uh, actually, all the time we lived there, we walked our kids to school. And the first year, our two oldest would go to elementary school, and our three youngest would be in this wagon that my wife would pull. And people would look at her like she had three heads. She'd be like, do you have a daycare somewhere? What is going on? What are you doing? And the next question, are they all yours? <laughs> She'd somehow look at me and go, oh, no. yeah, they're all ours. And what would happen is that as slowly as relationships would get to be built, is that people would take notice. They would see, not the perfection, no, 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 we're not a perfect family. Oh my gosh, no way. Not even close. But they would see the love in our family. They would see the things we walk through. They would see the patience. They would see some of these things. And as a result, what would take place is that they would say, listen, I, I want to know. They would, actually, we would have people that would come and join our youth group because of our kids. And some of you understand this. You get this. And why is that so? This isn't anything. Listen, please hear this. This is about God's design for the family to be a redemptive force on the earth. This is what this is about. And so when we don't create margin in our family, what happens is that we begin to negate that. So what do we have to do to create margin in our families? We have to teach and train our families in the truth and the love of the Lord. In Joshua 24, verse 15, he gives this out to the Jews there, Israelites. He says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods, of your, gods, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in, the, in whose land you are living, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. What, what does Joshua say? He looks at him and says, you guys have to choose. You're going to serve something. You're going to serve something. You're going to serve some kind of God. You're going to serve the God of activities. You're going to serve the God of, of recreation. You're going to serve the God of division. You're going to serve something. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And it starts with this. Whenever we create margin, it comes when we make the decision to train our families in the truth and the love of the Lord. What this means is that as leaders in our homes, we... We teach our children how to pray and how to read the Word. We teach our children how to pray and how to read the Word. One of the most beautiful things I remember as a child is my mom teaching me how to pray. She taught me how to pray for healing. She taught me how to pray when I got a headache or when I got sick. What was she teaching me? Not words to recite, but the truth that we can go to the Father when we have a need. And he's the one that meets our needs. They taught me the value of the word of God. They taught me how to get into the word of God, how to read it, 
how to understand it from the love of the Father. Listen, and I don't want to put any kind of fear or any kind of condemnation because some of you parents are starting your journey fresh right now also. And in the same way you would teach your kids, learn for yourself. Approach God as a loving Father. Approach Him as the one who knows you, who loves you, who can meet your needs. Approach the Word of God the same way. But moms and dads, it's our responsibility to train up our children in these things, to teach them the value of prayer and the Word, to teach them the value of being at church. Congratulations, all of you passed that test today. You're here. It's a joke. You can laugh at that one too. Why? Church attendance is not something we do out of tradition or necessity or because we want a badge on our spiritual sash. That's ridiculous. That's foolish. If you're here today for those reasons, don't come back next week. But if you understand the value of what it means when the saints come together and the power and the authority when we join together in worship and we sing in one accord of the greatness of our God of the one who sets us free, when we join together in prayer, when we grow together in groups, when we do those things, then you need to be at church. And you need to be at church. All right. We need to teach our children how to taste and see the goodness of God. We need to have a testimony of the goodness of God ready on our lips, ready to share, ready to direct our, our kids. My son, my son recently hit me with something that tested every bit of this in my life. He hit me with the dynamic of a sports dilemma that he was facing with his soccer coach. He's not in here, is he? Good. Thanks, guys, back there. Free reign. He texted me uh, before school let out and said, Dad, I'm getting moved up and down. I've been practicing with varsity. I've been practicing with JV, and now I'm on the sophomore squad. I'm practicing with the sophomore squad. That's basically going from the top all the way down to the bottom. I don't know what my coach is doing. I don't know what's going on. I'm so mad. I'm so frustrated. <laughs> my wife just reminded me how I'm on the podcast. <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's great. And immediately in my, in my parents' dads, come on. Come on with me, dads. Let's huddle up just real quick. Come on. Come on, dads. All right. We all been there, right? There was about to be a well-worded email written to that coach. <laughs> let you know something, don't you sit, my son, number one. I stopped and I delete that text, go back, all right, patience. Pastor can't come pray for me, lay hands on me, let's go. I said, listen, this is a great opportunity. And immediately, it's like the Holy Spirit said, what are you training your son for? Are you training your son to be the best soccer player in the world, or are you training your son to be the, a righteous solid man of God and I stopped and I said son listen you play your best you're an amazing athlete you're gifted you're better than I could ever be son keep your head up work hard and God will honor your hard work listen just parents we've all been there right but those moments are so important to train and teach our kids about the goodness of God God's got your back son God's got your back. He sees you. He loves you. He knows you. Don't worry. You're not just playing for the short term. You're playing the long game. And when you do that, you actually create some margin in your life. Believe it or not, you create some margin in your family. We create margin by believing for family salvation. 
Some of you don't have everybody in your family that they're walking with the Lord. Keep believing. Keep believing. Keep fighting for that. We do it by being present with our families for our families. And today, listen, I'm, I had this conversation with my wife. And this is, a, this is an odd message for me. And just thank you for letting me just talk to you guys today, okay? Because I began to tell my wife what I was preaching. And she, you know, I was reminded, not by her, but by the Holy Spirit, that some of these I, I come up short on. If I can just be honest with you guys. So I'm not, I'm not talking to you. We're just talking today. We're asking the Holy Spirit to help us create some margin, okay? And if I can be honest with you, this is one area that sometimes I fall short in. Is that parents, listen, we need to be present. We need to be in the moment for our families. So we create margin by teaching them how to pray the Word of God, by, by bringing them in the, and teaching them the value of the church, by tasting and seeing the goodness of God, by standing and believing for the aunts and uncles and the people outside of the, the, that don't know Jesus. We, we do that. We, we create some margin in our families there. And we create margin by being present in our families. By being there in the most important times for our kids. As a mom and as a dad. One of the hardest things that my wife and I navigate is how to train our children in a way that represents the truth and the love of God. And that means that we're present. We're present in prayer. We're present in thought. We're present in agreement. Moms and dads, if you live in a family where you're together and you have kids, you need to be in agreement over the way you train your children. You need to be present for them in, a, in agreement. That doesn't mean just sit in the stands and watch your kids play. That doesn't simply mean, and listen again, please, this is, this is heavy on me because I know that if there's a place that I fall short in creating margin for my family, it's here. Don't just be physically in a room. Take the opportunity to let your kids know exactly how much you love them. Be present. Be present. Why? Because in doing so, you're creating margin. You're creating margin. Okay? All right. Let's keep going. Number two, the second place that we need to create some margin is in our personal relationship with the Lord. We do this by growing in the knowledge of the love of the Father. See, this is the source from which everything comes out of. In Romans 8, 14, it says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. This is the primary place from which God will lead you. This is the only place from which God will lead you. As a child, as a son or daughter. And if you don't relate to God in that form or that fashion, then you're missing understanding and building a deeper personal relationship with Jesus. And this is where you have to go back to. This is what you have to ask the Holy Spirit to help you understand. To say, God, let me relate to you the way a son relates to a father. Let me know your goodness, the goodness of the father. Let me experience that. Let me know your love for me. In verse 16 and 17 in Romans 8, it says, As the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God. And co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. See, the purpose of growing in our, our knowledge of the love of the Father is this, is not only do we grow as sons and daughters and begin to gain a deeper understanding of the goodness of God, which is our inheritance toward us, which you have to have 
If you believe that you're called to big things, you have to have that. You have to have that deep well to pull from. But there's an interesting part of Romans 8, 17 that I've always struggled with. And it says this, if indeed we share in his sufferings. And I never liked that part. And I always said, God, what exactly does that mean? I, and I've read stuff on it and I've heard people say, about, say this. But here's the deal. Is that in order to create margin in our life and in order to grow, that oftentimes there's a need for discipline. Which is simply this, the cutting away of our flesh. Meaning this, that if there is a bad habit I'm involved in and I need to stop I am going to have to receive discipline from the Lord as well as understanding who I am in Christ Jesus. But the Holy Spirit helps me with that. And the way that the Holy Spirit helps me with that is by understanding how much the Father loves me. There are things that you are called to do that to get there, you're going to have to cut some stuff away and it is going to hurt But when you stand up in the knowledge of the love of the Father, knowing who you are as a son or a daughter, it is easy to make the decision to say, God, go ahead and do the disciplining in me. Why? Because I know as a good father, you're leading me in great places. It's easy. And we have to grow in our relationship. Why? Because whenever we feel that pruning apart from the knowing the love of God, what happens is we go, oh, this is too painful. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm stopping. I'm I'm tagging out. But when we understand the love of the Father, it becomes easy. And our relationship is the source of our redemptive calling in us that pushes us out. When we understand who we are, listen, it's, it's super easy to go out. When I understand how much God loves me, the Father loves me, it is great to tell the people how much the Father loves them. Growing in our personal relationship with the Lord means that we grow in an intimate knowledge of the love of the Father, but it also means that we grow in the revelation of the Word of God. We allow the Word of God to do some heavy lifting for us. In Hebrews 4.12 it says, For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit, both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. As we pursue a personal relationship with God and we create some margin in our life, and every day you need to set some time aside, some time to receive from the Father as a son or a daughter, to soak in some of that intimacy, some of that love, And then you need to get into the Word and you need to let the Word of God recharge you. And in recharging, what it's going to do, it's going to build you up into the calling that God has called you. But it also may say, hey, it's time to cut some stuff off of you. I don't know about you, but listen, I love, love, love that truth. Because I understand the things God's called me to, that there are some things in me that need to come off. When we do this, what happens is we begin to abound in both grace and truth. We begin to abound in grace and truth. All right, let's keep moving. Third place, I know I'm giving you guys a lot of stuff here. Just take whatever the Lord's speaking to you and and make it yours, okay? Let it draw into your heart. We need to create some margin in our time. Our time. In Ephesians chapter 5, it says this, Paul encourages us to redeem the days because the days are evil. 
Redeem the days because the days are evil. And he goes on and says this, listen, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When it comes to redeeming our time, let me give you just a little key. Is that a lot of times when we say, oh, I need more margin in my time, we begin to think about the things we can cut away, but I actually want you to think about the things you need to add. What you need to add to your life in order to put margin on your time is to think about the right things. See, Paul gives us a key here when it comes to redeeming the evil days. It starts by what we choose to meditate and we med- and choose to think on. And the best way to create margin in your day, in your time, is this. By meditating and thinking about the good things of God in your life. By being around people who are thinking the same way. By making melody in your heart, by singing songs to God, by, by, by staying in that place where you are fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit, by making that a big priority to your day. That means this, that you may have to stop watching certain news shows or television that's getting you thinking a different direction, that's hijacking your thinking. Do a quick inventory in your, in your day, and every day, probably your days look the same if you're a creature of habit. You get up and what do you read first? What do you look at first? Is it Google News? Is it Fox News? Is it CNN? What are you meditating on? What's taking your attention and beginning to direct your focus for the day? Because here's the key to creating some margin in your time is by first thinking on the things of God. By meditating on the good things of God. Meditating on the blessings that he's put in your life. Begin to sing songs to the Lord. Lord, I praise you, I thank you, I worship you, you are good. Just let a freestyle song come out of your mouth about the goodness of God. See what it does to your day. And Paul says this, listen, if you're going to redeem or put any margin in your time and redeem the evil days, you've got to start by thinking on the things that are good. Stop thinking on the things that are bad. But it... There are purposes in our life that need to be redemptive, that need to be put back in order. Our money needs to be put in order. One of the ways that we redeem our time is by redeeming the purposes in our life. Money is a huge purpose in your life. You go to work for over 40 hours a week, some of you. You work overtime, more than 40 hours. Why? Not because they're high-fiving you on the way out and saying, that a boy, and patting you on the back, and you're like, thanks, boss, that's great. No check for me this week, thank you very much. No, you're like, you need that money. (laughs) That's a purpose. That's why you go to work. But your money has to have a purpose. Otherwise, it will control your life. You'll work your whole life away. Did I ever tell you about my dad? Let me tell you about my dad real quick. I love my father. He's with the Lord. Here's my dad. He served over 23 years in the Army. He was a Master Sergeant in the Army. Amazing career in the Army. Worked in the EOD. Phenomenal. I love his stories. My dad, what's called TDY, went on tour three times when I was a child. I didn't see him between the years of basically 6 and 12 until he retired. I saw him for brief moments. He would pop in. 
And then my dad got another job. He got a day job. Because his day job wasn't enough, he decided for him and his best friend, they were going to get a job at Walmart assembling bicycles. That is not a lie. That is not an exaggeration. That's what my dad did. And then my mom got sick. And so he worked during the day. Then he worked at night. And what happened to my dad was this. Before, two months before my mom died, my dad had a stroke that disabled him. Six months after my mom died, my dad was dead from a stroke. My dad loved Jesus. My dad went to church. My dad taught me about these things. My dad had zero margin in his time. And he literally worked himself to death. Listen, your money has to serve a purpose. The way you create margin in your money is first by obeying God with your money, second by blessing others, and third by having a budget. Obey, bless, and budget. Obey God first with it. God, it's all yours anyway. Hey, if, if, if everything you earn is a blessing from God, enjoy work. Come on. Bless some folks. Bless. Bless people. Be a blesser. And then budget. Budget. What about your time? The priority of your time, the purpose of your time, family first, the things of God, work. Create a budget for your time. Your pursuits. What are the things that you're pursuing? Are they redemptive? Do they have a purpose behind them? Do they have a godly purpose behind them? And listen, I know this one's personal, so ask the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit. Some of you can make deer hunting redemptive. But if, re- if deer hunting becomes possessive, stop it. Some of you can make sports redemptive. My brother-in-law is a great example of that. He coaches his kids. He coaches other kids. He uses that time to bless, bless them. But if sports become possessive, stop them. What are you spending your time doing? You can justify anything you want. But if it's not redemptive, ask the Holy Spirit to help you prioritize that. And then finally, and I'm going to close in this, Justin, come on up. We need to create some margin in our freedom. Let me explain this. Is that we have to continue living as free people. People who are free in Christ. In Galatians 5.1, Paul writes this and says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not... Do not, do not let yourself be yoked or burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Protect your freedom. The things that God gave you in 2015, protect them. The prophetic words that God gave you in 2015, 14, 13, 12, 01, 1995, protect them. Protect them. Protect your freedom. The things that God's teaching you, the, thing, the ground that God's giving you in your marriage with your children, protect it, protect it, protect it. Stand 
firm in the liberty and the freedom that Jesus Christ gave you. Stand firm in that. Don't go back to old thinking. Don't go back to old patterns. Don't go back to the works of the flesh. Don't go back there. Stand in the liberty and the freedom that Jesus gave you. Stand firm. It goes on and says this in verses 13 and 15. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in this, keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. One of the greatest things you can do to create margin in your freedom is by serving somebody. Saying, God, how can I bless somebody? How can I love somebody? How can I, how can I serve somebody? How can I create some, some freedom here? And when we do that, listen, what happens is that you are protecting your freedom. You're keeping your eyes focused on the right things, on the, on the things that matter, on the things that keep your freedom. You're creating margin in your freedom. Nehemiah did this. He did this. He looked at the people... And the first thing he told them is this, in order to get things straight, in, under, in order to heal all these issues that were taking place, and for some of you this morning, you say, listen, I understand, Pastor, I need to have margin in these areas, but I don't know where to start. Some of you feel incredibly nervous at this point. And if you do, let me just declare the peace of God, because this is where you start. And this is what Nehemiah did, is he pulled the nobles aside, and he pulled the people, and he said, listen, the only way we're going to correct the problem, that we're going to get out of the yoke of slavery, and away from famine, and away from the mismanagement of our time, and begin to sow in our fields while we build this wall, and we're called to be a redemptive force, is this, by fearing God first. Verse 9, he says, so I continue, what, are you, what you're doing is not right. He's talking to the nobles, he's talking to the people that are taking advantage he said, shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? He's saying, listen, we're a different people. You guys are acting like the way the world acts. And the way you correct that is by fearing God. He's saying, God, listen, your word counts first. Your voice matters. And then he said, listen, we're going to start a new pattern. He told them, he said, you've got to correct this. You've got to fear the Lord. And immediately what took place is the Spirit of the Lord began to speak to these people that Nehemiah was talking to. In Nehemiah 5.12, he said, they, they looked at Nehemiah and said, we will give it back. And we will not demand anything more for them. We will do as you say. See, there's a change of heart. And whenever we make the decision to ch- to fear the Lord, what takes place is this, is that it gives the Holy Spirit some room to create a new pattern in our life. God, I trust you. I fear you. I know what everything else around me is saying, but I fear you, and I'm going to let you create a new pattern in my life. And this is what's beautiful. And it proved what Nehemiah was saying works. And some of you say, listen, you know, hey, I, I need to know that this works, and here's a little bit of proof is that Nehemiah became the example. In verses 17 and 18, I want to read this to you. It says, Furthermore, 
This is Nehemiah speaking. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those who came up to us from the surrounding nations. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep, and some poultry were prepared for me, and every 10 days, an abundant supply of wine of all kind. In spite of all this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because the demands were heavy on these people. What is Nehemiah saying? Nehemiah didn't have to rely upon the the stipend of what was given to him as a governor of Jerusalem, but he was saying, listen, God, you've blessed me so much that as an individual, I've made room at my table for 150 people plus more, and there's an abundance at my table. Isn't it amazing that during famine, that the blessing of God was on Nehemiah? Because he chose to honor the things of God and create the margin necessarily, necessary to say, God, I, I fear you first, and you have turned and made me a pattern, and I'm going to bless the people. And by doing so, what happened is that in Jerusalem, things got refocused, and the priority got set, and the margin was created. Let's stand to our feet. God's doing great things in every one of you this year. You're a redemptive force on the earth. I got to be honest with you, I, I didn't initially like this message because it, it really struck me, hit me, hit me right here. And what I want us to do this morning is this, is I, I know, I, I, I'm sorry for talking so long, but I believe the Lord really wanted to just give this to you today. Is I want us just to create an altar right where we stand. And you know exactly where you are. Some of you are trucking right along and you're saying, listen, I had a great 2015. I'm going to continue to honor the Lord. I'm going to see great things and keep going. Grab some folks around you, link arms with them and keep trucking. Some of you say, listen, I I was stuck. I'm stuck right now. I've got a pattern of, of terrible things. But I believe that God is rebuilding a pattern in me and I'm going to trust him and I'm going to put some margin. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit Help me to create some margin in my life. And wherever it is, even if it's something that wasn't mentioned today, ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you the grace necessary. If it's in your family, ask the Holy Spirit and start in one place. Be present. Be available. Make time. Teach your kids the Word. Whatever it is. If it's in your time, begin to take and say, God, create some margin in my time. But let right here, right where you stand, be an altar. And say, God, in order for 2016 to be everything that you've called and put in me for it to be, I need to have margin. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word today. Lord, we receive your word right now in the name of Jesus. We take it on us. And Lord, in my own life, what I'm asking you for, God, as I'm asking you for some margin, Holy Spirit, I'm asking for your help because I know the things that you've called me, that you've called my family to, God, that you've called this house to. And so, Father, I'm asking you for some margin. I want to know you better. Lord, I want to walk with you in a deeper intimacy as a son, to know the love of the Father in a deeper way, and I want to be obedient to the Word of God like I've never been obedient before. Holy Spirit, help me.
Holy Spirit, help me with my family. Help me to be present. Help me to show my kids how good you are and how much you love them and to be a father who is loving. To be a husband who is loving to his wife. God, grow my family into everything that you've called my family to be. Let it be a redemptive force on this earth. Lord, draw the folks in my family who don't know you have walked away from you back to your love. You are the good father. Lord, in my time, in my money, Lord, let me obey you first. And God, let me budget, Lord, and let me bless. Let me be a blessing. Father God, in my pursuits, Lord, let me pursue you and the things that are dear to your heart. Lord, I want to be everything that you've called me to be in this new year. Lord God, I want to be everything that you've called me to be as a son. It's right where you are. Whatever your prayer is, just make that a confession before the Lord right now. Father, we thank you. The things that we're confessing from our mouths, we can't do it in our own strength, and we know we can't. We might be able to see them, but God, we don't know how to get out of them. We don't know how to fix them. And so we are dependent, Holy Spirit, upon your power and upon your help. And so we welcome you, Holy Spirit. Come in grace and come in truth and help us, lead us, guide us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. I receive that. I just bless you in the grace, the great grace and the peace of the Father. And this new year, 2016, is going to be a wonderful, blessed year for every one of you. We love you so much. We look forward to seeing you Wednesday for our night of worship. Have a great week.